0: Welcome to the 34th Circe, Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the, advent- with the adventure us. with us. Take the adventure with us. And welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel, and I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. As always, please be so kind as to leave a lovely rating or some lovely comments on whatever podcast platform you are using to listen to us, and then stick around and enjoy the show, because today we are going to be talking about our Classical Studies 101 series, talking about the Iliad, Chapter 15, and as always, our guide on the Iliad in the journey of with the Trojans and the Greeks, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary.
1: Well, thank, thank you for that. Hopefully I won't disappoint.
0: Not at all. So tell us, uh, give us a little recap. So this is Chapter 15. Give us a little recap as to where we are in the story, what we uh, last heard in Chapter 14, and what we we can expect in Chapter 15.
1: Well, as I said last time, chapter 14 is the uh, sexiest chapter in the Iliad. Um, And again, I keep saying the Iliad is the greatest story, most influential story of war ever written, bar none. Um, And it not only showcases uh, the glory of war, but also showcases and ends with the tragedy of war. Mm -hmm. It's very poignant. Anyhow, chapter 14, I call it the sexiest chapter because in it, uh, Hera, the queen of the gods, uh, dollies herself up with uh, perfume and beautiful dress and crown and everything and goes to seduce Zeus, her husband and king of the gods, to distract him so that Poseidon, the god of the sea, can help the Greeks win against the Trojans. So that's what that chapter is about.
0: It's also an interesting chapter. We talked about it because Zeus had so many dalliances we know from the mythology. And here's Hera, and he just admits them to Hera. I just still find that mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, um, he, has a, he has a gall to recount all these love affairs that he had with mortal women, like Europa, that Europe is named after Europa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and But he says, but you're better than them, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, unreal, unreal. Well, okay, so now we're into Chapter 15. You know, har-
1: hardly a politically correct position today, to say the yeah, least. Yeah,
0: it would not not go over well. So, uh, so what's going on? So we're Chapter 15. Introduce us. What's, what's happening here?
1: Well, again, I'll give you a little synopsis. I keep giving you out of this uh, old Harvard but uh, beautiful translation of the Iliad by uh, Hyatt uh, excuse me, by Lang, Leaf, and, and Myers, uh, 1883. And a little mini synopsis is uh, Book 15, How Sleep, which is a god, by the way, it's, it, sleep is called hypnosis. We get the word uh, hip, hypnosis from uh, hypnos, hypnotherapy, right. and everything.
0: Yeah, no, um, the, the personification the Greeks use is pretty exceptional. And that's what one of the reasons that this work has lasted and why people love it to this day.
1: Yes. So as so synopsis reads, How Sleep and Hera beguiled Zeus to slumber on the heights of Ida. Now, Ida, spelled I-D-A, is like a second Mount Olympus, and it's near Troy. From it, Zeus can actually see the war going on from the walls of Troy. Um So uh, on the heights of Ida and and how Poseidon spurred on the Achaeans or the Greeks to resist Hector uh, because Hector is attacking the Greeks and and he wants to burn and destroy their ships. And then it says, and how Hector was wounded.
0: Okay, so that's our setup for 15.
1: So that's the setup for 15, and then I'll go on. Let's um,
0: before we move into it, let's talk about just where we are as we're moving through this work. So, uh, total number of chapters we're now at fourteen. Total number are twenty-four, right? I mean, there's twenty-four. We're chapters. going to
1: fifteen, but there's twenty-four chapters. Right. Okay. Right.
0: So we're we're past the halfway point. So, in terms of the story arc, what can you tell us? What what have we seen develop to this point? Just kind of to to refresh our listeners. What well, have I we think seen the the
1: story arc at this point is uh, Hector is making, you know, what turns out to be a last-ditch effort to defeat the Greeks.
0: Now, why is it a last-ditch? Is it because they, they've they been worn down? They've thrown themselves into the fray? They just don't have the forces to keep holding on? Is that that's what's happening?
1: Well, it's all of the above, plus uh, Zeus finally, you know, at the assistance of Hera and Poseidon and so on, Finally, has to turn against them, as much as he doesn't want to, but he does.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in Homer, if if the gods want you to lose, you're going to lose. And so it's uh it's it's kind of like a last ditch effort. And Hector is trying to drive the Greeks back and burn their ships so they don't have any escape back to Greece, and hopefully kill enough of them to uh, destroy them. That that's that's his goal. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's where we are. So let's let's go through it. Let's start through this. All right. This so uh,
1: so I'm, now I'm reading the 1990 translation by Robert Fagles. That, by the way, that was used in a. I recently saw an hour and forty minute long play on the Iliad that was performed at this wonderful theater in Pasadena called The Noise Within. Right. And uh, you actually know the uh, lady actress that. Performed it, uh, Deborah, yeah. Deborah, Deborah Strong.
0: Deborah Strong. And she's a uh, she was my acting teacher, and she is wonderful, marvelous actress, a wonderful person. So, yeah.
1: And she she did a great job. I mean, I can nitpick at the way she pronounced uh, the Greek opening. Um, the Greek opening in the Iliad is Ada Menathia Peliadios Achilleos, meaning Sing, Goddess of the Wrath. Of Peleus' son Achilles. That's the first line of the Iliad. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, Fagel's uh, entitles chapter fifteen, "The Achaean or the Greek Army at Bay," meaning uh, you know they 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 are on the defensive. Okay.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And so the the uh, proem or the beginning of the chapter begins like this back through the jutting stakes, and he means stakes that were put at the bottom of this trench. They put along a defensive wall along their ships to uh, mm-hmm. protect them from the Trojans. Back through the jutting stakes and across the trench, they fled, meaning the Greeks, and hordes were cut down. Well, uh, only, only after they reached, uh, now, now I talking about the uh, the Trojans, only after they reached the chariots did they stand fast, bleached with fear, whipped in desperate flights. In other words, the the Greeks were able to hold them off to uh, give them that uh, fear. Mm -hmm. Get this, that moment Zeus awoke on the heights of Mount Ida, stretched out by Hera because they'd just been making love. Hera, queen of the golden throne. He leapt to his feet. And then he saw the Trojans and the Achaeans on one side routed, and the other harrying them in panic. Greeks attacking and God Poseidon leading the way, and Zeus saw Hector sprawled on the battlefield. Because remember, he in the last chapter he was hit by a boulder by Ajax, the giant Ajax, the second best warrior of the Greeks, after Achilles. And um So Zeus saw Hector sprawled on the battlefield, his comrades kneeling around him as he uh, panted, struggling hard for breath. His senses stunned, vomiting blood. The man who struck him down was not the weakest Greek, meaning uh, Ajax. Mm -hmm. At the sight of Hector, the father of men, meaning Zeus, filled with pity now. And shooting a terrible dark glance down at Hera, burst out at her, "What a disaster you create, uncontrollable Hera! You and your treachery, halting Hector's assault and rallying Hector's armies. I wouldn't be surprised, my queen, if you were the first to reap the pernicious whirlwind you have sown." I'll whip you, stroke on stroke. Now was he threatening to, you know, punish her?
0: I just, want, I just have to interject. I mean, I find Zeus. Unbelievable! I am not a fan of Zeus. You know this. I've never been a fan of Zeus. It's no. just he's going to call her treacherous with all the stuff he does, and yeah. then he's going to threaten to beat her. I mean, it's unbelievable. But anyway, go on. Sorry.
1: Well, he's the epitome of duplicity. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to make a little alliteration there. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. All right. Um. And uh. Uh. And then he goes on to say how he punched her in the past. So hear this, he said. Don't you recall the time I strung you up in midair and slung two massive anvils hanging from your feet and lashed both your hands with golden chains that you could not break? And there in the clouds uh, you dangled, and the mighty gods on steeple limits raged away impotent because they could not set you free. You were standing there helpless." And any god I caught, I'd seize and send him plunging over the ramparts, headfirst, till he hit the earth, barely alive. Not even then would the stark grief of Heracles or Hercules
0: mm-hmm.
1: release my breaking heart. Hercules, Heracles, my own godlike son, and so on. He says, you are always plotting miseries for my son, meaning uh, Heracles. She didn't like Hercules at all.
0: Uh, could it have anything to do with uh, his how he came into the world, Zeus's relations? I mean,
1: well, I think so.
0: I mean, mm-hmm. no, I'm just saying facetiously. Obviously, I mean, it, Zeus is just the epitome of the patriarchal mindset. But there you go. All right, so yeah. he's now he now he's recounting, he's recounting how you basically has abused. Um, the, so to, to
1: him, it's reminding her that he can punish her badly if he wants to for bad behavior, from his point of view, bad behavior. Uh, and uh, But it just shows, you know, how mean he can be.
0: It's, uh, yeah, pretty clear and pretty. Uh, and he
1: condemns her in the, at the end of the paragraph by saying, down from the gods who came to waylay me, you seduced me blind. And then it has Hera's reaction because she is afraid of him. You know, who Mm -hmm. wouldn't be? Her eyes wide, Queen Hera shuddered before his thunder, protesting. And then she says, Earth may be my witness now, the vaulting sky above and the dark cascading waters of the river Styx. I swear by the greatest grimace oath that binds the happy gods. By your sacred head, by the bed of our own marriage, that I at least would never take in vain, never will never by will of mine did the god of earthquakes wreak havoc among the Trojan ranks in Hector. And that's not true. She was urging Poseidon. On. So anyhow she appeals to him and says, you know, she's not really to blame and all that sort of thing.
0: Sorry, I had myself muted. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, like you say, he's threatening her, and it's uh, unconscionable, frankly. Uh, and he's threatening her, and she's going to pretend because he has such, you know, immense power. You know, she's going to avoid, try to avoid blame, try to avoid this, this abuse.
1: And so he says uh, a browsing appeal, and the father of men and gods looked down and smiled, and then he says, "Excellent, Hera." Now, if in the years to come you will accord with me, my wide eyed queen, throne with me in the gods' decisive sessions, then Poseidon, bent as he is to go his own way, must change at once and wrench his will to ours, to yours and mine united. So, in other words, he's trying to say that he and she are united against Poseidon. Mm-hmm. So he says, So then, Hera, if you mean what you say, down to the last word, go back now to the deathless tribes of gods, in other words, on Mount Olympus, and summon Iris. Now, interestingly, in the Iliad, Iris is the main messenger of the gods, whereas I in, remember in the Odyssey, you said Hermes mm-hmm. is the messenger of the gods. Yeah. Now, Iris is the goddess of the rainbow, which is beautiful, mm-hmm. and she has beautiful transparent wings. And he says, and summon Apollo too. Apollo, by the way, is supporting uh, the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so anyhow, he says, uh, have Iris fly to uh, the Greeks' troops and, and direct Poseidon, who shakes the earth to stop and quit the war and return to his own uh, palace under, under, uh, under the sea. Poseidon, who we Apollo, talked about, has
0: one really fascinating attribute to the sea, earthquakes, horses. I think he's one of the most interesting of the gods of the Olympians.
1: Yes. And he said, and then let Apollo drive Prince Hector back to battle and so on, you know. And um, uh, and then he, he brings up uh, what will happen. He foreshadows what will happen. Zeus, I mean. And he says, uh, regarding uh, Peleus' son Achilles, and uh, he will launch his comrade Patroclus. Patroclus was a cousin, but also many think the, uh, the lover of Achilles. Mm-hmm. Uh, launch his comrade Patroclus into action. Uh, and glorious Hector will cut him down with the spears. In other words, he's saying that Patroclus will save the day for the Greeks, but uh, at the expense of his life, because Hector will wind up killing him. So Hector will cut him down with a spear in front of Troy. Mm-hmm. Once Patroclus has slaughtered whole battalions of young uh, Trojan fighting men. And among them all, my shining son Sarpedon. So he's saying that one of the main warriors of, of the Greeks, uh, Sarpedon, who is another son from a, Another, uh, you know, sexual escapade of Zeus. um, Well,
0: another illegitimate son from an illicit affair by Zeus.
1: How unusual. Will be be killed in this, you know. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, and brilliant Achilles, in other words, he's he's saying eventually, brilliant Achilles will bring Prince Hector down, meaning to kill him. Mm -hmm. And then from that day on, I'll turn the tide of war, meaning... Let let the Greeks win.
0: So, what's the reason for this? The way, or do you know of any reason? Is there any scholarly insight to what the reason is for wanting the war to play out in this particular manner, which seems like a very specific choice being
1: made? Well, because um, the the um, the gods love to mess with mortals. And for them, there's nothing more interesting than a mess with them than a than the most famous war of ancient times, you know.
0: Yeah. Oh, so meaning the the just the, the for the sheer of uh, keeping it interesting for them is making it very difficult and very uh, arduous for humans, for mortals. Yes. Okay.
1: And well, there you go. Them, you know, they 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 inspire them, and then they uh, abandon them and let them die. You know, it's it's really perverse. It is so. so anyhow, from uh, there, okay. mm-hmm. so Hera bays at once and clearing Ida's peak, she soared for sheer Olympus, and then she um, tells uh, Thetis, i mean—tells Iris to go. You know, uh, and and she and, and then she's saying to the Greeks, you know, Mount Olympus. Oh, by the way. Uh, they, uh, he says. Uh, they lowered their cups. They're constantly drinking the nectar of the gods. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like the gods are constantly uh, having a party while all this is happening. You know, <laughs> so-
0: they they keep a buzz all the time while they're watching this stuff. They're getting they
1: keep a buzz all the time, and and they're eating. A, uh. The, drinking the nectar of the gods and eating the food of the gods, you know?
0: It, it is interesting, I mean, just to talk about this for a little bit, It just the sense, I particularly I imagine for uh, man in the ancient world, so much closer to the elements, things seeming so much more unpredictable. But we feel it now, of course, all of us. It's, it's common to human life and why we connect with this, this sort of sometimes seeming capricious nature of fate where you no know, matter you've got something planned the the old saying you plan something and the god's laugh right you've got something yeah. planned and it gets knocked off they throw you off your horse they throw you off kilter and homer really captures that sensibility the this this sense of the laughing mocking god's almost They're enjoying it. They're the powerful ones like the elites, the aristocrats of the cosmos, and mere mortals are just the peasants running around and and are there to be their diversion almost. So, I mean, I think Homer does an amazing job of conveying
1: that. Well, he does, unlike any other. And then, um, you know, Hera says, basically she's saying, what fools we are storming against Zeus, we're mad because he's first in strength and power, and none in the world is rival. So in other words, it's hopeless to go against Zeus. Hmm. But Ares, the god of the war, it says, With fighting words, Ares pounded his sturdy thighs with the flats of both hands and let loose in grief. And then he says, Now you gods of Olympus who would blame me now if I descend on the Greek ships to avenge my son, my butchered son even if fate will crush me, striking me down with a thunderbolt of Zeus sprawled with, in the blood and dust with dead men's corpses. So with that, Ares calls his henchmen, uh, route and terror to minor gods that support Ares route and terror.
0: That's a, those are great names. That'd be a great wrestling tag team.
1: <laughs> yeah, it certainly would, you know? So he tried to put on his armor and, um, but, um, but then, uh, Athena, fearing the worst for all the immortals, the gods, leapt from her throne, and she confronts Ares, and she says, uh, she dressed the war god down in in all his fury. And she says, maniac, out of your senses, you're ruined. What are your ears for, Ares? Can't you hear the truth? Your wits are gone. Where's your respect for others? And so on. So she... Uh, so she goes on and on, you know, uh, telling him to forget it; it's useless. And then she says, "So now I tell you, drop this anger, you know." Mm-hmm. And um, so, with that sharp warning, Athena seated headlong Ares on his throne. But Queen Hera uh, summoned Apollo from the halls and Iris too, the messenger of the gods. And with that, you know, she tells him to. To go to Troy, you know. And uh, now Ida goes uh, to thundering Zeus, uh, seated on high Gargarian peak on Mount Ida, you know. And then, uh, and then he tells her what he wants her to do. He says, "Away, Iris, quick as you can, to the Grand Sea Lord Poseidon. Go give him my message, start to finish." And see that every word of it rings exactly so. Command Poseidon to quit the war and slaughter now. So he's he's demanding that Poseidon quit.
0: Mm-hmm. Relative to Zeus, Poseidon would Poseidon be thought of as the second most powerful Olympian, or you know, there because it's he's part well, of the... Well, he grudgingly admits it, mm-hmm.
1: but but uh, she tells him, she goes and tells him, and then he says this. Uh, but the glorious god of earthquakes, meaning Poseidon, shook in anger. What outrage, you know? This is what he's saying. What outrage! Great as he is, what overweening arrogance! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it says, "So force me, will he, to wrench my will to his? I, with the same honors, three brothers are we, all sprung from Cronus. All of us brought to birth by Rhea." Rhea, you know the, mm-hmm. the mother, Zeus and I. Hades, the third lord of the dead beneath the earth. The world was split three ways, each receiving his realm. When when we shook the lots, I drew the sea, my foaming eternal home. And Hades drew the land of the dead. Hades drew the land of the dead, engulfed in haze and night. And Zeus drew the heavens, the clouds and the high clear sky. But the earth and Olympus heights are common to us all. So in other words, the dry land and Mount Olympus are common to all three gods. So I will never live at the beck and call of Zeus. This is Poseidon raging on. Mm -hmm. No, at his royal ease and powerful as he is, let him rest content with his third world, uh, third world with his third of the world. In other words, he's trying to say he's kind of equal to him, you know? Mm -hmm. Don't let him frighten me with his mighty hands. What does he take me for, some coward out and out? He better aim his terrible salvos at his own sons and daughters. He's their father. They have to obey his orders. It's their fate. And then Iris you know, tries to get him to see the reason. Iris, quick on, as the breezes, tried to soothe him. Wait, God, to see blue mane which grips the earth. You really want me to take that harsh, unbending answer back to Zeus? No change of heart, not even a little? The hearts of the great, you know, can always change. You know how the, the furies always stand by the older brothers and so on. Then the lord of earthquake yielded ground and answer. True Iris, or mortal friend, how right you are. It's a fine thing when a messenger knows what's proper. Ah, but how it galls me. It wounds me to the quick when Zeus tries to revile me with brute abuse. His equal in rank. So in other words, he's trying to say he's the equal of Zeus. And uh, our fated shares of the world are the same. Still, this time I will yield for all my outrage and so on, you know. So anyhow.
0: Yeah, that is is a... uh... Sounds like the gods are trying to summon you. Uh, that is a uh, a really interesting thing to see about Zeus and Poseidon. I mean, that's a very fascinating aspect of a relationship. That uh, to see that portrayed again, another aspect of what makes Homer such an amazing writer. This these little touches, these little touches of humanity, of of ca- you know character sketches, giving you a sense of what these even the gods are like, and the gods are so real and so human, human like. In these, in his writing, it's just an amazing work. It's an amazing work as a as a writer and as an artist. And we've talked about, of course, course on the podcast before. Was there a Homer? Were there many Homers? And I know your belief in the the idea of that there was, um, but it's just, and I agree with you because this is the kind of work that there you can feel the hand of an individual in it. So, I I
1: think so. Yeah. Okay, I so know, we're coming. I mean, we're coming no, up to it. It's here. a real mm-hmm. work of genius, as is the Odyssey. And just because the Odyssey is different, um, in that it emphasizes women instead of men, which the Iliad emphasizes men, the Odyssey emphasizes women, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that Homer couldn't have created it because you know he wanted to vary the the epics. Yeah, it, absolutely. And the fact that he emphasizes women and and the Odyssey balances the fact he emphasizes men in the Iliad.
0: Well, Shakespeare wrote comedies and tragedies. And I mean, it's just the writers could write different things. Um, Well, we're coming up to the end. So let's kind of like, uh, let's let's wrap it up and bring us towards chapter 16.
1: Well, so what happens is uh, Hector attacks his ships and he manages to break through to get to one ship. And uh, as uh, Homer says, you know, he, he grapples the ship's stern and so on, you know. And, uh, and he says his men and the, the Greeks and, uh, are defending their ships. The Trojans are attacking, quote, killing each other with hatchets, battle axes, big swords, two-edged spears, and many a blade, and so on. And the earth ran black with their blood. And Hector held fast. He never let go of the high stern. So in other words, Hector was revived enough to go back into action. And, um, and and then he's yelling at the Trojans, bring fire up with the war cries all together. Now Zeus hands us a day worth all the rest. Today we seize these ships. And they stormed against the ships and so on. Mm-hmm. Um and then he uh, then he cries, not even Ajax held it. I mean, uh, Homer says not even a- Ajax held his post, forced by the shafts, meaning all the spears and arrows coming at him. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he backed away in inches, certain that he'd die. And uh, so anyhow, they he stood on a ship with a, a what what uh, Homer what is translated as a pike, uh, fending off you know the the Greeks, I mean the Trojans, and stuff like that. And then he urges his men on, friends, fighting uh, Danans or Greeks, fight like men, my conrams, call up your battle fury, and so on, you know? And with each war cry, he thrust his slicing spike with fresh new fury. And any Trojan crashing against the big ships, torch ablaze in hand, straining to please Hector who urged him on, Ajax was ready and waiting there, would stab each man with his long, rugged pike. Twelve he impaled point blank, struggling up the holes. And that's the end of the chapter. And interestingly, it ends with twelve, which I think is a sacred number.
0: Right. We've talked about the sacred uh, symbolic number system. So we end with just an intense, intense battle sequence. Yes. Um, And as we are Past the halfway mark of this work, going to the two-thirds mark of it, uh, we're, get, we're getting to some, you know, f- this, this resolution of the story is upon us. So uh, this will be very interesting to see where we get to in Chapter 16. So this has been Chapter 15 of the Iliad. We, of course, have been on this journey, guided on this journey by the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary.
1: Thank you. It's great.
0: And I am Sean Marlon-Newcomb, and this is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. This has been Classical Studies 101, the Iliad, Chapter 15. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon. Take care.